Years ago, I came across a uh, Peanuts cartoon strip. Peanuts sometimes goes into uh, religious and, and Christian themes, and some of them are a little bit more overt than others. And this one, I don't think I would have recognized had it not been um, a profound experience that I had with a young adults group uh, that I was with years ago. Um, you not, might not be able to read all of it, but it's it's uh, Charlie Brown and Linus. Uh, it's cold, and they see Snoopy, and uh, Charlie Brown says, Snoopy looks kind of cold, doesn't he? Linus says, I'll say he does. Maybe we better go over and comfort him. Linus says, be of good cheer, Snoopy. Charlie Brown says, yes, be of good cheer. And then they just walk away. And Snoopy kind of has a look on his face as, what was the point of that? And obviously, it's prophetic in the sense of those those times and those circumstances where maybe we have seen uh, someone um, in need or in trouble or uh, just just looking to be recognized. And we may actually encounter them, maybe have a few words and say, well, you know, I hope things work out and just kind of walk away, uh, leaving the person wondering what was even the point. And that's part of what James's letter is getting at, not only as the whole letter, but particularly in this famous uh, passage of chapter two. Um, as I said, I was with a young adults group. Uh, we were on a mission trip uh, somewhere. I don't even remember where, but I do remember the night that we looked at this letter and, and it just sort of spoke to me in a way that it never had before. And one of the things that I really appreciated about this young adults group is we were all really hungry to to answer the question, what is the point? Of all of this, because most of us had gone to church in one way or another, but there was like no one really ever said this is the point. This is why we do what we do. And James's letter really gets into that. I mean, one of the reasons I think is it's it's very short and it's and it's succinct and it's it's really reminding us, you know, not to get bogged down so much in the details or when things are really thick and can get very complicated. Sometimes that's easy for us to forget or maybe even choose to forget. And James is like, "You know what? I'm going to keep this short and sweet. Don't let the opportunities pass you by. Do something with what you have been given." He puts it this way. My siblings, what good is it if people say they have faith but do nothing to show it. Claiming to have faith can't save anyone, can it? Imagine a sibling who is naked and never has enough food to eat. What if you were to say, go in peace, stay warm, have a nice meal? What good is it if you don't actually give them what their body needs? In the same way, faith is dead when it doesn't result in faithful activity. Someone might claim you have faith and I have action, but how can I see your faith apart from your actions? Instead, I will show you my faith by putting it into practice in faithful action. This might be the number one thing that people who we might call unchurched really want to see from the church. In other words, I don't really care what you believe. Are you actually doing something about it? And that's as true 2,000 years ago as it is 
now. And this is part of what James is addressing. And one of the reasons that it comes in the New Testament, the, the writer of James is very studious in the Gospels, in Paul's letters, in all of the books and letters of the Old Testament. And so he, the, the writer is continuing to live in this idea that the scripture, the gospel is about addressing these social discriminations. So many people who are ignored and all of these so-called followers of God just really just giving words of comfort words of encouragement, but not following it up with any actions. And James is reminding us the scripture and and even the Old Testament, especially the Old Testament, has these very deep covenantal memories of caring for the poor and the powerless, the lost and the alienated. Saying that that as uh, as the ancient Israelites were slaves in Egypt and they were finally free to be the people who they were supposed to be, so too are they to care for the strangers, for those who were labeled for whatever reason, to be able to free them not only out of the bondage of something like slavery, but also the bondage of the identity that had been placed upon them. Just as you were freed, so should you free others. That's part of the message of the Old Testament. And James, the writer, expects no less from the people this letter was originally written for. And dare I say, James expects no less of us thousands of years later. See, the other nice thing about James, and especially that the letter is so nice and and short, is that James doesn't sugarcoat it. He doesn't mince words. And I think a lot of times we need that. I certainly need that. For as much as we talk about love, you know, God loves everyone and and Christ commands us to love one another. Sometimes we can take that too far in the extreme in the sense that it comforts us so much that we can lull ourselves into a sense of apathy. That if we just say, well, we're just supposed to love everyone. I mean, that's a great message, but sometimes that message can get so far and so wide that we end up not really doing anything specific to show it. Or maybe we just use that as a tactic to stall for the things that we are supposed to do. Now, I'll be the first one to say, I think reality is complicated. Life is complicated. There's all these systemic realities and, you know, how everything is interconnected together. And it's not just about one thing. It's really about all things. And it's good for us to have that holistic awareness. But at the same time, it can also stop us from doing anything because we might say, or I might say, well, you know, it's complicated, it's systemic, it's, it's relative. And I can convince myself all day about how complicated things are that I don't actually do anything. There's a great, uh, episode. It's an old episode. I guess they're all old at this point of cheers, you know, where you go, where everybody knows your name. Uh, Sam, who's the bartender, is having this conversation with Diane, who's a waitress. And he's saying, you know, I met this girl. We're not really getting along. She wants to keep going out, but I don't, you know, I don't really want to do it. I also don't want to hurt her feelings. You know, it's, it's just really complicated. And Diane wants to talk through it and, you know, kind of psychoanalyze it. Well, coach, Sam's coach, he used to be a baseball player. His coach now works with him at this bar. His coach comes in and he says, what are you guys talking about? You know, we've got a lot of customers out there. And Sam says, well, you know, Diane's trying to help me work through this problem. It's really complicated. I'm dating this girl. I don't really like her, but I don't want to hurt her feelings. Finally, the coach says, you know what? I have no idea what you're talking about. Just do me this favor. And he takes a pin out of his pocket and he says, pick that up. And Sam says, well, why why do you want to pick me up? Coach says, just do it. 
So Sam's been, Sam bends down to pick up the pin and coach kicks him right in the rear. And he says, now get out there and tell that woman exactly how you feel. And Sam, and Sam says, well, it's much more complicated than that. Coach kicks him again. He says, get out there and tell her how you feel. That's the letter of James. The letter of James is kicking us where it counts, where we would rather just kind of sit around and talk about it, you know, stay within the reality of how complicated everything is and how interconnected and systemic everything is. And, you know, we've got to talk about it a little bit more. James is like, no, get out there. Go out and help the people who need help. It's as simple as that. James is saying, don't wait. Act. Act right now. And, and you know what? Even if you don't have it all figured out, even if you don't have all the steps, even if you can't predict all of the scenarios, just get out there and do something. And sometimes we fall and, and oftentimes we make mistakes and sometimes we have to deal with the consequences. But what always happens as a consequence when we don't do anything is that nothing happens. Because we're sitting on our hands waiting for that perfect time that's never going to come. And the great thing about action is that even if we start small, we start to see that that action leads to another action, which leads to another action. And we see this momentum that builds up toward that greater goal. The day that I fell in love with this church was in the last hurricane. My, the first hurricane that I ever experienced was Hurricane Irma. It happened the September that my family and I moved here. <clears throat> and I remember asking people, hey, what do you do when a hurricane shows up? And everyone's like, oh, it's fine. Get, get a few more bottles of water, a few cans of soup. It, it's, it's okay. You just write it out. I didn't hear that after Irma. I mean, it was devastating. You, most of us remember Trees were knocked down, literally uprooted. I mean, buildings were, were crushed. Houses were, were torn down. And we spent that time, that initial time, taking care of ourselves and our, our loved ones and, and our neighbors. But it didn't take much time until we all started hearing this message that we were going to open up the gym. And it wasn't anything big. It wasn't anything expansive. It was just this message. You know, hey, if you have an extra couple cans of food, bring them. You know, if you have some tarps that you're not using, if you could bring them. You know, if you have some bottled water that you're not using. Uh, we, we've heard of some folks who may be in need of that. And it didn't take any time at all until that gym was jam-packed, not just with supplies, but with people. People who had their own homes to, to deal with, who, who had family members that they still had to check on. Um, who didn't have power, who didn't have electricity for days and days. And those people and others were just coming and going. We were dropping off food. We were immediately taking it out to elementary schools, to other homes, to other churches. I mean, it was hard work. It was sweaty. The air conditioning wasn't working yet. And and I remember thinking, you know, this, this huge, pristine, um, stable church is in the midst of this chaotic, swarmy, sweaty, grungy, messy ministry. That's when I fell in love with his church. Because we were doing exactly what we were called to do. We didn't have it all figured out. And I know this is a church who loves to have things figured out before we actually do it. But we didn't wait 
We didn't form a committee. We didn't call the bishop. We just did it. Now, underscore, the bishop's wife, who was the director of our missional ministries at the time, helped us to do this. <laughs> but you use the resources that you have, and, and, and you don't wait to make sure that it's perfect. You just do it. This picture here, look at all that water. I mean, that, that just showed up. It showed up because of you. It, co- it showed up because people in our congregation knew that we didn't have to have everything totally figured out or notarized or, you know, finalized. We just did it. Not because we're perfect, but because we lived in the moment, the moment of need. Why do we do what we do? And I'm sure we've asked that question at one time or another, whether it's our own personal mission or or the mission of the church. And, you know, we try and we fail and we try and we fail or we try and we succeed, but we don't necessarily succeed as much as we thought we would. And in the midst of it, we're just we're just tired. We're exhausted. We're worn out. And we may ask ourselves, why do we do this? What is the point? And sometimes we may not even know why. I'm not a huge fan of the matrix trilogy. I think the first matrix is really good. And if you don't know the matrix, it's, it's about artificial intelligence, creating a computer generated world, making us humanity think that we're living in the present when really it's a dystopian future and everything that we know is totally fake. But Neo is one who's able to, to realize that, that it is not real. And he's able to free himself from this and realize how horrible reality truly is but at least there's some truth in that and he's trying to help others in the midst of that the the computer generated dream world is trying to fight him to make sure that he doesn't share this message with others and in the third movie he fights a representation of this fake world and in the fight he's he's defeated and he's pounded literally pounded to the ground but he keeps getting back up and his opponent keeps saying Why do you keep getting up? You're not going to win. You're fighting an entire world. Why do you persist? And Neo's answer is very simple. Because I choose to. Why do we do what we do? Because faith is a gift. But as James reminds us, we can't stay there we can't stay in the gift as comfortable as it would be as assuring as it would be maybe even as life-giving as it would be the gift is only the first part you may have heard this story last week david and nikki referred to it i think in their sermons but i think it bears telling again so the Wednesday of the storm, as it was coming in, as the wind and the rain were building up, I was here at the office uh, just making sure that things were still unplugged, that things were disconnected, you know, just kind of checking on things. And I get this phone call from David. And Pastor David is telling me that um, he's been working with some communities and has discovered that there are some migrant farm workers who are trapped in the laundry room of the the community that they're staying at 19 guys uh literally in one laundry room no windows no doors and the hurricane is literally coming in 
So he's telling me, you know, he's working with some other churches trying to find some shelter because the community storm shelter will not take them because they have no identification. They don't have social security numbers. They're undocumented. And as we're talking about this, I mean, both of us finally say it, you know, well, we'll take him. I mean, he may not need to come to that, but, you know, if it does. And so a few minutes later, he calls me, calls me back and he says, well, you know, the churches that I've spoken with, they're, they're hesitant to take these guys in. They're worried that, you know, they may steal something or they may break something. You know, they may dirty the carpet. And James's words are hitting me here and here. And, and, and not the words that I read, just the words, the, the kick in the rear, help. And so what it eventually came down to is some churches saying, well, I'm not really sure, you know, I haven't called all the trustees yet. We haven't made a formal decision. Just bring them here. And so we opened up our gym. And we got as much food as we could find. I, I broke into the pantry. Well, I didn't break in. I had to find out what the code was. Um, but I started, you know, bringing out all the dry food that we had. And, and I called Mike Stasiak, who's our director of kitchen ministries. And I said, hey, Mike, you know, these guys showed up. They have nowhere to go. We're letting them into the gym. I know some of the stuff that I'm taking might be for preschool, you know, the preschool lunches and snacks. I said, you know, we'll, we'll make sure that it gets reimbursed. And, and he interrupted me. He said, just take what you want. Do what you need to do. It could be just as easy to choose not to help, to not get involved, to say, well, you know, we're not really sure it's, it's the right thing. And, you know, what if what if the church gets mad at us? It could be just as easy to choose not to serve, choose not to live, to not give in this way, to not act in the spirit that we have been given, to not be a part of the heart of the drive of the passion of Christ. For some of us, there may have been times even before this hurricane, even before the pandemic, for the last few years that we may have felt as though we just want to disconnect, disengage, not be a part of this hard, exhaustive work. The work that this life pulls us into again and again and again, when sometimes we just want to get out and we want to stay out because it's too much, it's too hard, it hurts. As it has been said before, it hurts sometimes more than we can bear. If we could live without passion, maybe we would know some kind of peace. But we would be hollow. Empty rooms, shuttered and dank. Without passion, we would be truly dead. As the lyrics say, I could, if I could just stay here where it is safe and it is warm and it is comfortable, but you have called me higher. You have called me deeper. Several years ago in a church that I served before, I was meeting with a family to get ready for the funeral of their mother who passed away. And, you know, I just asked them basic questions. Tell me about your mom. What kind of person was she? And when they really perked up is when she talked, when they talked about when the grandkids came over. And this was a brother and a sister, and they, and they said, you know, when the grandkids showed up, it was almost as though there weren't any rules. 
when we were growing up with her, there were a lot of rules. One of them being we keep a nice, clean house. And so we were not allowed to make any messes at all. Couldn't disrupt the newspapers or the magazines. We couldn't touch the windows. You know, it always had to be clean. But when those grandkids showed up, it was like all the rules went out the window. They were able to run around the living room. They could throw pillows around. They could put thumbprints all over the, the windows. It was so frustrating. They said, our mom never let us do that. And, and one of them said, you know, finally I confronted mom about this. And I asked, why do you let the grandkids just do this all the time? You never let us do this. I mean, they make a total mess. Why do you let them do this? And she said, that's how I know they were here. This is what the unchurched, what the de-churched is asking of us. Show me that you're really there. Show us the mess of ministry. Because as one of your pastors, I, I will say to you, I would much rather serve a dirty church that lives in the mess of ministry than a clean church that is clean because it's dead. This is part of who we are. I praise you for being a dirty church that is willing to get messy, that is willing to roll up sleeves and do the hard work that needs to be done. That doesn't mean that we don't clean up afterwards. We do. And you have a phenomenal facilities team that probably has one of the most important ministries of this church, which is cleaning up after our messes. But at the same time, we have a congregation whose culture is, of course, we're going to get dirty. Of course, we're going to get messy. Of course, we're going to let people in who need shelter. That's what we do. That's who we are. That's how we know that ministry has happened. Never once did it cross my mind, well, if we let these guys in, what what if the church gets mad at us? I mean, I would think you would all get mad at us if we didn't do it. Never once did I think, oh, what if they make a mess? You know, what if they steal something? In fact, let me tell you, they actually swept the floor of that gym. Y'all know how long it's been since any of us actually swept that floor? They definitely let it, left it in a better place than they found it. And this is what all what you all have instilled in me, enculturated within me, that we don't think twice about letting anyone in this church who is in need of shelter, whether it's physical or spiritual. Because that's who we are. We're not a cool church, you know, at least in the midst of fads or fashion. But I don't think that's what people need from us. We're a stable church. We're a conventional church. And let me tell you, right now, in an unconventional, unstable, totally chaotic time of life, for many people, this congregation and what it offers is exactly what people need in times of stress and crisis and chaos. This is what we do. Now, the soundboard, the the tech guys let me know that they did find the video of Reverend Marcus. And so I just want to take this opportunity to, to share this with you as he says, thank you for our being in the midst of the chaos. Let's take a watch.
So if you notice how many bags of water were left compared to that video that you saw earlier with the trailers filled, it took six hours to get from those trailers to those four packages. Now we're going to continue to work with them, to partner with them. Trish Warren, who is a member of our church and was at the 930 service, uh, brought a friend with her. She has a long title, so I want to make sure I get this right. This was uh, Reverend Jenny Phyllis, who is the uh, senior tech advisor in the environmental sustainability uh, office of the global or no, excuse me, the general uh, board of something. It was a really long title. Her her name tag was like this big. Kind of, no, I'm just kidding. But, you know, that's the beauty of the connection is that we don't just say, oh, my gosh, there was a hurricane. What do we do to help ourselves? It's how do we help each other? And that those acts of service, that momentum, it builds and it keeps going and it keeps going. And, yes, it is exhaustive. And there are some days I have to tell you, it'd be so much easier to say, you know what? I'm just done. I'm over. I'm gone. But that's not who God calls us to be. In the same way, it's okay for us to admit our exhaustion. Those times when we feel as though we don't have anything left to give. Because when we say that, there's going to be somebody beside us, in front of us, behind us, wherever. Maybe even out of an act of surprise that says, you know what? I'll keep going with you. We've got a lot of crumbs here on the floor. Uh, you know, there's some bread dust here on the table. There's some, there's even some grape juice stains. And you know what? It's beautiful. Because something happened here. Life has happened here. And life many times is messy. And Jesus pontificates on this. Many times he answers questions with questions. But you know what? Other times he just goes and does it. James is saying, don't wait. Shout it from the mountains. Go and do something. Don't wait until it's all perfect. Just act. And in that action, we will see and experience God's love and grace. So get on board. Get those supplies that we need. Make sure they get into the gym where we're doing this great, sweaty, messy, chaotic work. Because that is the work of the kingdom. And may we go do it in love and in peace. Amen.